1: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid. So scared to do what I wanted In looking back I can see all the mistakes that I made And I wish that I could talk to me And tell me I can change Don't be afraid Now I accept the choices I made and I look at it like a lesson learned walking out from the cave. Now in the light, respectful of all these words, I
0: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is April 22nd, 2014. Tonight, we are going to have on a coach that uses craft techniques, and that is um, a program for uh, family and friends It comes out of smart recovery. And I have the handbook here in front of me for people affected by addicted behavior of a loved one. And Kathy... I forget how I, I think I found you through the Center for Something and Change, right? Behavior and Change out of New York City. And then I think I saw you somewhere on Facebook. So her name is Kathy Ba, and it's T-A-U-G-H-I-N-B-A-U-G-H. And she's a parent coach that uses craft techniques. And she has um, personal experience with this. And the reason I also had her on, I mean, I know we talked a little bit about what she does and her beliefs. She has personal experience, and she is very affordable. So um, in a time where there's many parents who could use this help, I thought we'd have somebody like Kathy on I'm going to bring her on right now. Hi, Kathy.
2: Hi, Monica. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Oh, thank you for being on my show. Welcome, welcome. Um, So I thought, can we start with um, some basics of what CRAFT is? And then we'll talk about, you know, how you coach and maybe what your experience is. But just to give somebody from the the top of the show, um, what is CRAFT?
2: Right. Well, CRAFT is a program that was started by um, Robert Myers out of New Mexico. And it's a program for families, basically, of people that have substance, substance use issues Um, I was trained in um, New York with the Center for Motivation and Change with Dr. Jeffrey Foote and his colleagues through a volunteer project we're doing with the drugfree.org organization Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on training parents. So it's a way to reach out to parents, and the Center for Motivation and Change, their kind of philosophy is that kindness and science combined can really help families, um, you know, do better as far as getting their children to make more positive change.
0: Well, I like the kindness and science. It's not an approach that's being used right now when you pull a kid out of bed in the middle of the night and throw them in a van with some roughnecks and take them off to a rehab somewhere. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, uh, and how did you get involved with being a craft uh, Coach. Uh, well,
1: I, yeah
2: well, the way it, you know I'll just tell you briefly my, my history. I, um, I'm a mom, I was a former educator. Um, when my daughter was about 19, I realized that she was using uh, drugs and alcohol a variety of things, but then became addicted to crystal meth, and then I also had a son who was kind of becoming more and more dependent on marijuana, so you know the drug use for my children, really, you know, hit home pretty hard. Um, so I had a point in my life where I stopped teaching. I, You know, my teaching career had ended, and I uh, was kind of looking for something to do. I, I felt like I'm the kind of person that needs to be busy with a project and that kind of thing. And right. this whole drug issue with our children just kept weighing on me. Um, so I started a website and a blog uh, in 2010, and then from there, was approached by the uh, partnership at DrugFree.org to be a volunteer with their organization, mm-hmm. and then okay, and then from there we they approached me again as one of the volunteers and said we're doing this pilot program with recovery coaches to be trained in craft and you know wondered if you'd like to be involved and it sounded right. like a really great opportunity because I also on the side had trained personally myself to be a recovery and life coach.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, through my website, so it was a really nice balance of doing the volunteer piece as well as my own work um, from my website. Um, so that's how, so that's how that got all started, and it, it's been a really an amazing—I have to say—an amazing experience. We, eleven of us parents, went back uh, in August to New York and worked with um, Dr. Jeff, Jeff Foote and I, I said a couple of his. Um, colleagues who explain the the whole idea of craft and the mm-hmm. thinking behind it. And then we have also been training with them twice a month, you know, via the telephone conference calls, right. uh, working with them. You know, we're assigned parents to coach. So what we're trying to do is get the idea of craft out to families, that this is an alternative for you to choose. It's something that you can use with groups like Al-Anon, or it's something that you can use on your own if you're not Comfortable with the 12-step group, or you you want to do something with a different approach? So it's a great right, way right. To, mm-hmm,
0: to help. Uh, yeah, so that is how we, we I found you. I think it was because I had him on Jeff Foote, through the Center for Motivation and Change, and then I think I saw you on uh, on his Facebook maybe page with um, maybe Barry Lesson talking about harm reduction. That might have mm-hmm. been it. Uh we could probably take some questions. I'm going to just say it we we'll, if if anybody does want to call in, it's 818-475-9211. 818-475-9211 if you have a question or a comment about um you know being a parent or a loved one. Uh yeah, I when I opened up this book, I thought that this one uh this craft book that there's some really good tools here. Is there something you just would like to start off with that you find is really helpful in the beginning when you work with a parent or that worked for you? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think the first thing that parents, you know, when I talk to parents and you know, we get in conversations, they email. I think so many parents are just overwhelmed by their children's drug use. They, you know, and I was too. I mean, you're completely at a loss. Um, we have not been trained for this. We don't know how to deal with it. If we have not had any kind of substance abuse issues in our families, growing up, it's a complete, Mm -hmm. you know, foreign idea to us. So the thing that I kind of start, usually start with is the idea of self-care and, you know, taking care of yourself, trying to get help for yourself, um, Mm -hmm. doing things. I think some parents become just so obsessed with their children's issues that they lose sight of, you know, anything that they can do to help themselves. So they stop seeing friends, they stop doing their hobbies, they, you know, stop exercising, maybe they stop going to the doctor, all those things that are so important, they kind of just put to the wayside because they're just so focused on their child and their issues. So I think that's usually the piece that I start with is just, you know, what are you doing for yourself? Um, mm-hmm. Let's get you know routine going that kind of gets yourself back into uh, your regular life because the bottom line is it's not going to help your child if you're completely drained. I mean, that doesn't help your child right. get any better.
0: Oh. Right, right, right. And I, I think that um, the, the thing that I thought was the biggest uh, that popped out for me is talking about the vocabulary and the words we use because I came from being in a world of uh, AA for a couple of decades. And had there were many things in it I didn't believe maybe even 20 years ago when I got into good therapy. And, but there was a lot of musts, should, have to, can't, ought to. I'll read all of them here. All always, can't stand, awful, bad person, I'm a failure, and then they just talk about exchanging those words and, and thinking, this is really for the parent when you're talking, you know what I mean, and I realized when I picked this book up as I was studying how much of some of this I still did, and the uh, four ways to, to screw yourself up, awfulizing, you know, oh my God, it's terrible, horrible, and I, I mean, I'm working out a really nasty film, so It is really awful, a lot of things that I'm seeing and hearing and reading. You know, it's like this one bad story after another. But the wording, you know, it really kind of made me aware. And uh, so I think that if anybody's out there listening, uh, one of the, it says here, (laughs) anti-awfulizing. How awful is awful? How terrible is terrible? Um, It helps to put events into perspective, to actively, forcibly expand our focus um, to see life realistically. And you say to yourself, and they have like a little rating bar here from one to a hundred, with like little, you know, little lines at ten, twenty, and thirty, and so on. Ask yourself, how terrible is it? Could it get worse? Is it really as frequent as it feels? How long will it really last? Can I stand this? Um, so, can you talk about that a little bit about what you find with uh, people when they, when you first start talking to them, with the wording that they oh, use when they're.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, and, sure. I mean, I think we were we're kind of told to, you know, and and what we try to express to parents is to kind when you're thinking about the words that you're going to use with your child, um, to just kind of take it down a notch, to just kind of bring the emotion down, and try to get out of that emotional drama that so often happens with you know when our kids are using. So, just being more calm, trying to to find words that seem a little more um, natural and logical rather than, you know, going into how horrible you're feeling or this is the worst thing you can do. I mean, one of the things that that they talk about a lot is open-ended questions. So asking your child, you know, about what's going on instead of, you know, giving asking them questions with like a yes or no answer. You would ask them questions that are more open-ended so you can start a dialogue, a conversation, rather than right. accusing them of something or using these very dramatic, you know, high-level, high-emotional high, level, high, high emotional words that just spin everyone into a negative cycle, you know. So just trying to keep the conversation level. Uh, no, There's a lot of pieces to this. I mean, another area that, that, that is really helpful too is knowing that your child is, has probably very mixed feelings about their use. I mean, there's probably um, part of them, of course, that's getting the high and it's fun and especially if they're teens, they're still kind of in that fun stage where isn't this great and it's cool to be doing these Drugs, but um, there's also a part of them that knows that this is probably harmful and this probably isn't something that I should be doing and I do want to stop. And so there's that ambivalence that is constantly going. And so what you want to do is start a positive conversation with your child so you can start to bring out their... you know, their positive motivation to make changes. Um, so that's kind of the idea, I think, with that and, and toning it down a bit. You know, so so much of it, I know, is is it's high. It feels like it's high drama. It feels like you're on a roller coaster. Just what what's the next thing going? You know, ha, what's going to happen next? And, Trying to just plan ahead and, uh, ch- you know, think about the scenarios that will be coming so that you're ready, practicing your conversations, practicing your reactions to things so that you're not so emotionally charged with the whole issue.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, I think that there's, uh, you know, I came from a culture where most people smoke pot, when I was growing up in the 70s, nobody became a heroin addict. Nobody smoked crack. Um, you know, people drank, and they outgrew it, as I I did. I, I mean, I quit on my own. I quit smoking pot first, and and then I quit drinking on my own, and then I wound up in AA. But um, I don't have the same. I don't think the same viewpoints as you about pot, you know, marijuana. But I do think that um, personally, myself, and other people around me, and I think other people need some other tools besides what Dr. Phil and what we see on our television. Which is why I'm having you on. You know, we don't have to agree completely on everything for us to educate people that there's other ways to want to talk to our kids to deal with um, what's going on. I mean, I think obviously, if you know somebody is addicted to crack, that's um, you know, to me, that's like right up there with heroin. You know, I, mean, I grew up in a world where there was no crack, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. but that heroin was you know it was a very Irish Catholic neighborhood, and it was like <gasps> zero. you never touched that right I mean that would be a no no like you can can smoke some pot and you certainly drank it's Irish Catholic neighborhood I mean who was not drinking um but uh it 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 seems like it's a different world and it is a different world uh and so I do think that uh that what what you have, and what Kraft has, and Smart, is way better than what alanon What I heard going on there, where they tell the people to throw their children out, and and I, you know, and I'm going to say this because it really got, it just pops in my head, is like, oh really? Al-Anon was created by Lois, and you know, she didn't throw him out, and he was a womanizer. You know what I mean? Like, here's a program that stems from Lois Wilson who lived with this crazy womanizer, the creator of AA, for all those years, and she didn't ever throw a bill out. So why should somebody ever be told in an Al-Anon meeting to throw your cat out on the street if they're using drugs? Mm
1: -hmm. And Mm -hmm.
0: I think it's really important for people to know the history and people know that what's being said there is dangerous. I mean, I heard this in a smart meeting where a parent was being told to do that, and there were young people in that meeting said, do not throw your children out.
1: Mm -hmm. And I don't know
0: what, you know, anyway, so... Uh, can you just talk on a subject for yourself? Of, I mean, I know you mentioned al I would never send anybody there anymore. I wouldn't send anybody mm-hmm. to any talk group anymore. But you don't feel I, that way. So, um, you know, did you grow up in a household where, as a child where, you know, people were just normal uh, beverage unit drinkers? know, drinkers? <laughs> <Would you laughs> put it that way? <laughs> yes. Um,
2: good way to put that. Um you know, I did. I did. I, my parents were not, I, I don't even, you know, I don't really ever recall seeing my parents drunk at all, mm-hmm. ever. They did drink. Nice. There were drinkers that, you know, they'd have a glass of wine or whatever, but they right. were very uh, controlled about it. And um, so it was never an issue. And I have three brothers, and they, you know, I mean, granted, all of us did our stuff. I mean, we all experimented. We all, you know, tried things and that kind of thing. But it never became an issue with any of us that we needed to get help or that, you know, we were having a major problem or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I – and I think that's the common mistake a lot of times that parents make too is when you grow up and you have tried different things um, and you kind of just decide – you know, like when I was in my 20s and I got a job and then I was thinking about having a baby. It's like, okay, well, we're not doing this stuff anymore because this is, you know, harmful mm-hmm. and I don't even know what's in it and blah, blah, blah. Right. So, I mean, that's when you kind of push it away. But I think, and I think so often, and I know I'm one of those parents who f- assumed that, um, and I certainly wasn't saying it was okay for my kids to smoke pot or drink beer or any of that kind of thing, but in the back of my mind, I assumed, well, even if they did, you know, they'll just grow out of it. You know, it's not mm-hmm. going to be an issue down the road. I never had a clue that this would lead to crystal meth, meth use or other harder drugs. You know, one my son mm-hmm. at one point used mushrooms for uh, uh, one night. We had kind of a wild night one night with that. and. So it just never, you know, I think parents kind of assume that kids are going to follow those paths. They might experiment trial little marijuana, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, it, but it, it doesn't ever go any further. And I think the problem now is when you throw in the prescription drug use that we have, which then can sometimes lead to heroin, um, mm-hmm. there's just a whole mix of new things going on now that we didn't have, you know, when I was growing right. up or when my kids were growing right. up. Right. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I don't, I mean, I look at Al-Anon, just to bring that up for a minute, I look at it, you know, when I went, my, the um, program director, that was the first thing they said to me, I'll go to Al-Anon, and as a parent, you don't know any different, I mean, there's, you know, right. you just go, and, and yeah. so for, yeah, and, I mean, I went the first t- few times, and it was, you know, so depressing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, these, whatever. The parents, you know, had been working with their parent kids for so long. And yeah. and then I went again, and I tried, and I found a parent group. And I have enjoyed that group. I mean, it is very, uh, it's all parents. We're pretty open. It's not, there's no, um, in fact, but at one point, we all had the, a whole table of other materials that were not Al-Anon approved <laughs> because we just figured those were important for people to read and that kind oh, that's of thing. Good. But, yeah, so, I mean, I think that was good. But um, I agree with you. I think the thing of letting go, detaching, is not necessarily helpful, especially mm-hmm. at the beginning. I think a lot of parents jump to thinking that's what they're supposed to do when they've just found right. out their kids are using drugs. And, I mean, that's so far from, you know, there's, that's what's the beauty of craft. There are so many tools in here that parents can use that can help their kids. And it's really about a, pot, a conversation, um, understanding what your child's doing, uh, understanding why they're doing it and what's underneath, you know, whether kind of peeling back those layers and finding out really what's going on underneath. Um, there's a lot that you can do before you even consider throwing your child out. And I would never, ever tell anybody with an under-18-year-old year child to even consider that. I think that is terrible honestly i mean i just that's not helpful for anybody to to put a child at i mean they're, you're putting your child at risk you know at harm oh you
0: know? yeah yeah i think so uh, i'm talking to kathy ta and ba did i say it right that time yes you did yes. okay <laughs> and she has a website um and if you you can just see it on my um on the blog talk radio and then cut and paste and put her name into google and you will find her way to her website where she has uh, about her and coaching and resources testimonials. So she has a blog and a contact and a free guide. Uh, um, what was uh, the biggest turning point for you with your your own children? Like, what was when things got better? What what would you say? What happened there?
2: Oh, when things got better. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, my daughter, I mean, I don't have, I mean, in some ways I do, but honestly I've heard so many really dramatic stories from parents, and it's, you know, it's sad, and I feel bad. I I didn't really have as much of that. I went back, I had a couple years with my daughter, but she was two states away, and we, you know, finally it it just hit that she was doing, she finally admitted that she was, you know, using these drugs. And so Mm
1: -hmm.
2: um, we... uh, I have to say I I was just blessed in the fact that she agreed to come home with me, she agreed to get help, Um, she did not, once she got into a program, she just kind of kept going forward. She just did not have the dramatic, you know, relapses and all that that people have.
1: and so she's good, though. D-
0: yeah, no, I don't think you have to. I hear a little bit of like you have to apologize for that, and I think that really comes from that twelve step world in our culture. That I think that's great, and I think that it's maybe because you didn't, you were not going down that road. You didn't do what you know. Say if you were in AA, or you know, you would be. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I think it's um my my being an alcoholic. Like, why is it that? You know, people that I know with a lot of time who are really nice people, they're all kids who are, really, like, really messed up, or they're not all of them, uh, that their kids wound up in a program. And tw- why? No kid belongs in a 12-step program. Like, they just right. don't. Like, it's crazy to think that, that what was created for Bill Wilson, who drank for, you know, hard alcohol his whole life, all day long for 20 years, that a teenager belongs being told this crap from the 1930s. It's so damaging. It damaged my older son. The things that I said to him as a teenager, it creates binge drinking. Um, you know, Looking back, it, it really created problems. And so uh, I mean, what I'm saying to you is that I would suspect, so you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, that you were coming from a different language. First of all, you didn't grow up in a crazy home like I did or you know, a home where there was drinking, there were problems. And so you didn't see that behavior and think that's kind of normal. And then, I mean, I don't know, my story is just really different. So your, and yours is very different from mine. So what I'm saying is, you know, could you pinpoint that your, your daughter, you know, she obviously wanted to, to help and she, and she got it and then went on to live her life. Don't you think right. that you had a piece, a part of that or, or no? She just was done?
2: Well, no, I mean, I you know, I, I don't, certainly do not want to ever take credit for anything that she accomplished on her own. I think that mm-hmm. I did, you know, I think one thing that I will say is that um, a couple things I think made a difference. One is her dad and I were divorced at the time, and I think one thing is, I you know, I called him, we were in Colorado, I called him from Colorado, told him the situation, and I think we both came together. I mean, for, and at that point we had been divorced for a while, so we had kind of mended our, you know, ways and all that kind of thing, but we really came together as parents to support her and i think that really helped i think that was one of the best things i mean he was there as much as i was and you know it wasn't easy trying to figure out what's the way to go and he had found an addiction counselor and i had found a, an educational consultant and we were just trying to kind of you know meet everybody and see what the best road to go was and you know, certainly there were kind of bumps in the road trying to make those decisions. But once we made them and, you know, we, we just hammered it out and made them together and she went forward from that point. And I think that really was helpful. I think parents collaborating is so important. I think if one mm-hmm. if you're giving your kids two different messages, it's, it's very difficult. Um, so, I mean, I think that was helpful. I think, um, you know, I didn't – I. I hear sometimes parents, you know, they they think of their kids as being bad or they're, you know, they're just there's so much anger. I don't think I had the anger, and I don't think her dad did either. I don't think either one of us were angry at her. We were more Mm -hmm. sad. We were were Mm -hmm. sad for her, and we were just so devastated that this had happened and she was throwing her life away, type thing. Um, But you know, but I think once she got into the program and got going, we just were very supportive, and I just. I kind and the other thing I do too is I kind of let the counselors. I felt like I don't really know. This is not my specialty. I don't know you know that much about this. So I kind of let the counselors lead the way and I listen to what they said and follow their direction. And I think that was helpful too. I mean, I think it helps to do your homework and find the right place for your family. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, in the best way you can. But then to kind of turn it over as much as you can because I think sometimes parents start to try to get involved and second guess and. And that just creates a lot of issues too. So, you know, I do, I feel like we did make, you know, her, and I can't take her. Her dad was there too. We both supported her. She did a lot of, you know, she went on to a woman's program and she did a sober living home. And she basically stayed away from our home base for six years. I mean, she was gone out of the area. And, I, you know, I know everyone can't do that, but I think for her, you know, she was working. It wasn't like she was just doing this. She only was right. – she went to Southern California and went, to, got into school again and got a job, mm-hmm. and she was started working and all that kind of thing. So, but she was surrounded by people who were in recovery. And I think that, you know, uh, she was in Orange County, you know, down in L.A., and she was surrounded oh, I by see. Yeah, uh-huh. so, I mean, it, it, it's a big, you know, recovery community down there, and she uh, I think that helped a lot, so I mean it was a combination of of all of us i think and and you know like i said we're you're all just trying to do the best you can when these things happen. There's no roadmap for anybody um I think every parent's situation is different and i and I totally understand what you're saying about the twelve step because I think treatment programs um and she did i mean both her treatment programs were twelve step it worked fine mm. for her. Mm-hmm. She then did her, uh, towards the end, her sponsor just pulled the group of girls that she was sponsoring, and they met at the sponsor's house. They didn't do a formal AA meeting, and that was kind of what she was kind of doing at the end. They'd read books and share the books, and so it was very informal. It was kind of a different thing, mm-hmm. but um, but I think, you know, you're only told, you know, go to AA or go to Al-Anon. You're not given options, and I think right. that is so important, I think. You know, AA does not work for all kids. I talked to a mom recently who felt like her son was a failure because he wasn't into AA, and it's like that is not a, being well, a failure. You know, you need right. he needs a different program. <laughs> it's not it's not him. It's you know it doesn't work for a lot of people. So let's look at other options. I mean, there's smart recovery. There's a lot of different things that he could do. You know, or seeing well, you know yeah. privately or whatever.
1: That's um, great.
0: Well, that's good that you know that she found you because uh, you know I, I watched some footage of a film where you could see that everything was like waiting on the time, you know. So he had nine months or something, and then he, you know, used again or something or drank. I forget what it was, but I mean, I had Dr. Javion from Alternatives, which is a moderation program, and you know, he clearly stated, you know, in, in that paradigm which has hijacked our culture. We can't say that it hasn't because why else would people who are not in AA uh, be brainwashed about time? You know what I mean? Like, So if somebody's been doing... Oh, here, like the guy I had on last week who does EMDR work. So there's a kid who's doing crack every day, and then he had one beer during that six weeks. He had no crack. He stopped using crack. And mm-hmm. then the the AA sponsor said he failed. He's got to start over. So he, no, he, he did not, was not doing well. And so... A.J. said, what are you talking about? The kid's not right. having crack. He had right. one beer. And so they this mindset, and so I was like, wow, what a, what a good comparison. But it's that, that kind of stuff is actually killing these kids. So a kid who's using heroin, who can probably drink a beer? They're, I mean, I've, I knew heroin addicts back in the 70s who were in NA. They're, alcohol was not their thing, and it's not their mm-hmm. thing. And right. many of them can smoke a joint. And that's all they want, and they just have like one beer, and it's like they're done. But right. this all or nothing. It's everything. Oh my god! Oh my god! You can't. You know, have this, and, and so I think that I'm glad you're there for that mother. Who, and you can say there is even MM. There's moderation. There's some harm reduction books that to look at mm-hmm. something in how we can reduce the harm. Right. Um, right. Yeah.
1: No,
2: I, I see, mean, and I, and I think you know. Um, I mean, I know a number of people who who have, who, you know, been addicts and whatever uh, or, you know, I addicted to different drugs. And, uh, you know, I think it probably is really good to do a period. I mean, I think everyone, first of all, I shouldn't even say what I think. I, everyone needs to do their own thing. But I think it is helpful to probably be sober for a period of time if you can. I mean, I'm sure that's helpful. But then... Some people can go on and just kind of get back to normal as long as they're monitoring themselves and keeping it, you know, low key. I think people can have a, a beer once in a while or something like that. And I think the message that you have to have a long uh, lifetime of sobriety um, is what holds a lot of young people back from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. getting any kind of help. I agree with that. I think par- I think everyone needs to have the message that everyone's situation is different, you know, let's look at what your situation is and we'll take it from there. I mean, there is no one right answer for anybody.
0: Well, I do think that it's a real case with women, like in Gabrielle Glaser's book, um, Her Best Kept Secret, Why Women Drink and How They Can Regain Control, that there is a huge population of, so in this, you know, in craft, I mean, we're talking a lot about children, but there's, you know, people who have their spouses, right? And that there is this whole population of women that, if they went and sat, you know, in a meeting or something, and first of all, they're not going to even go. They don't want to tell anybody. And you know, she talks about, you know, they're drinking a couple of bottles of wine a night, and that they don't want to, uh, they don't want to stop drinking their wine. And that's a lot of wine to drink every night. You know what I mean? Right. That's like right. wow. You know what I mean? So, um, but the approach, you know, how if with with women, if it's okay, you know, can you, is, could you drink three nights a week? Right. Mm-hmm. And, like, get to there, but as, as soon as you're going to get there, you... I mean, it, it's just a totally... Like, I had on uh, Donna Cornett, and she's written some really great books. Uh, Drink Link Moderation is her site, and she's also a coach. And affordable, you know, and has a really great book called uh, Stop Binge Drinking for College Kids. And I just think it's a setup for... Like if you say, I can never drink again, it's almost like the South Park episode where the guy's like, well, forget it. I can never drink again. So I'm just going to get drunk now quickly. Like, you know, like that if they think, well, I can have to have a life of abstinence, that they want to get everything in right now. You know, before. I mean, uh, who knows? I, I, I don't relate to that. But that I see that in other people. And, right. uh, you know, I think that, um, so do you only work, coach with the parents or do you coach with anybody?
2: I, you know, I will coach with anybody. I mean, anyone who's interested I coach with. I have kind of made my niche parents because I just feel like that's my experience. Um, you know, there's there's many coaches out there who, you know, have been in recovery or have done, you know, had, have gone through this whole situation themselves. And um, so they, you know, and and maybe younger people would relate to, you know, coaches in their 20s and 30s and that kind of thing. So I kind of feel like I'm probably better suited to work with, with parents, but I can also work with, you know, people who are concerned about their husbands or wives or brothers or sisters or anything like that. You know, I, I mean, I'm open to working with anybody, but like I said, that's mainly mainly who I work with is parents. Right, right. And, and there's, you know, it, there's it, there's a large supply of those, unfortunately, that it just seems like it's it's everywhere, you know, it, it is. So, um Parents are concerned and uh, they're worried about, you know, their kids and trying to figure out how to, you know, take those next steps. And sometimes it's really just about, you know, I've heard so much too where parents, the child does go on and, and improves, makes some positive changes, either just changes himself or goes to treatment or whatever. And then the parent, after all the struggling they've gone through, instead of being happy for them, they are, but they also become kind of depressed. I mean, they're just sort of, you know, they they just kind of start to fall apart at that point because they've worked so hard to to help their kids, you know, move forward. And it's just, you know, it's just the whole thing is it's a burden. And it's stressful for parents. It's uh, frustrating, anger, you know, all those different emotions. And it also can be a lot of parents who go through this have health issues. I mean, um, you know, you don't. It's hard to say if this is exactly why, but I mean, I I, I can imagine with the stress, you know, of having a child who has um, drug and al- alcohol problems, that it it's uh, not surprising that parents would have some health issues that go along with that. So, mm-hmm. again, that's why I do often preach about you know taking care of yourself and just. Knowing that you can, you know, if parents go out and have a good time or have fun or see their friends, it's, it's not going to help your. It's not going to make your child's uh, issues get worse. You know, it's it's just one. I think it helps pa- kids to know that their parents have a life of their own and they're they're doing things for themselves. I think it takes a big burden off the child who's already got enough issues as it is, just trying to deal with their own problems and to also worry about their parents.
0: So, right, right. I think, think self care. Um, I think uh, the period that I went to Al-Anon when my father was was dealing with with my dad and then a little bit with my sister, but um, there were, and I guess they were reading other books, you know what I mean, as we all I was certainly reading other books besides that literature because I thought it was not very helpful, but uh, where they talked about self-care, you know, just buying yourself flowers and taking care of yourself in a better way. Um, And there was more about balance. I think that's important. Uh, One of the things that I uh, saw that's in this book on page 21, and it's called The Personal Bill of Rights, and I'd like to read them because I think they're, they're really great. I have the right to ask for what I want. I have the right to say no to requests or demands I can't meet. I have the right to express all of my feelings, positive or negative. I have the right to change my mind. I have the right to make mistakes and not have to be perfect. I have the right to follow my own values and standards. I have the right to say no to anything when I feel I'm not ready. It is unsafe or it violates my values. I have the right to determine my own priorities. I have the right not to be responsible for others' behaviors, actions, feelings, or problems. I have the right to expect honesty from others. I have the right to be angry at someone I love. I have the right to be uniquely myself. I have the right to feel scared and say I'm afraid. I have the right to say I don't know. I have the right not to give excuses or reasons for my behavior. I have the right to make decisions based on my feelings. I have the right to my own needs for personal space and time. I have the right to be playful and frivolous. I have the right to be healthier than those around me. I have the right to be in a non-abusive environment. I have the right to make friends and be comfortable around people. I have the right to change and grow. I have the right to have my needs and wants respected by others. I have the right to be treated with dignity and respect. I have the right to be happy. I have the right to think about me without feeling selfish. Um, You know, you've been doing this work for a number of years, and in reading that, were there ones for you that, um, anything that jumped out of those Bill of Rights?
2: Right. Well, you know, I think the thing on, you know, on the boundary, you know, feeling like you have the right to have boundaries in your life and, and, um, you know, and that you can feel joyful and that you can uh, feel, you know, you you have a right to your feelings and emotions, that you don't have to squash everything and keep them um, down, you know, not not expressing how you're feeling. Um, I I think parents lose sight of who they are through this whole process. And family members, I'm, I'm sure the Bill of Rights is for everybody, but... Um, right. You know, yeah, I mean, I think when you get into the substance abuse and depending on how how you know extreme it, it becomes, you know, you lose sight of, of everything about your life. You just wake up, the first thing you think of is your child, and um, that's what you think of when you go to bed, and you know, it just becomes. You parents become obsessed with this whole thing, and and, and the bottom line is fear. So uh, fear is huge for parents with all of this. So you. Um, you know, you do have a right to set standards for what you want in your life and to express those to your child and to, uh, you know, to, to follow through with those, to follow through with, you know, this is what I want, you know, how I want my house to be and to figure out, you know, what, what's, what you can do to make this work in a better way. Um, Mm-hmm. But a lot of it so much of it too is just communicating with your child in a positive way, and I think what happens is parents you know you and I know I did this too you just become in this ne- it, it's all negative you know you're you come in this huge negative cycle that just seems like it's never ending um, so being able to kind of break that and find ways to do to use positive communication to work with your child can start to to you know change things to sort of move mm-hmm. things over into a better way so um
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, good.
2: I, I, I yeah. parents—they like they can't, you know, that they can't go on trips or they can't have fun or they can't do things to, you know, they're never going to laugh again and that kind of thing. Um, so I think you know, you need to know, you know, you just—you, you know, I mean, I, I—I'll never forget. You know, I've heard parents from all ranges, but I—I I remember talking or listening to a, um, an interview with a, a friend of mine, Dr. Herbie. Bell, who did an interview with a father, and the father was so at peace. And as he's talking, I'm listening, and he's just, and I assumed his fa- his daughter was, you know, recovered and everything was great. And this father was just so peaceful, and he said, no, you know, my daughter's in jail. She was just arrested, like, you know, two weeks ago, and we don't know what's going to happen and where this is going to go. But um, he just, and so that has really stuck with me, that interview, because I realized, you know, no matter what situation your child's in, you can, you know, if you work at it, you can find that inner peace. I'm not saying it's easy, but and I'm not right. saying you're not going to have fear and all of those mm-hmm. things,
1: but mm-hmm.
2: you can certainly be in a better place than if you're just frantic and, you know, all that kind of thing, obsessed with, um, you know, what's what, you know, waiting for the next shoe to drop and all that kind of thing.
0: So right, right. I mean, I think it's true. Like I had some really, you know, upsetting, really upsetting things happen on Thursday. My birthday was Friday. And, you know, I continued on with my plan, which was mm-hmm. to go out to see a show at downtown L.A. and go to dinner with just my husband. And I, even though I was woke up depressed that day and, you know, really bummed out for most of the day, I got dressed and I just, you know what I mean? I got dressed up and put my makeup on and fixed my hair and did the best I could uh, because I've learned how to take care of myself. And we went and then the next night was a group, small group, to go to the Edison downtown. And I wanted it to be small this year, and I had a great time, you know what I mean, even though and I make sure I exercise, you know I'll be wake up and if there's stuff going on and that I take care of myself with swimming and things that having lunch with a girlfriend, things that no matter what um that I can re refuel you know replenish it's like watering the plants, right it's like I make a joke of like. You know, the relationship, I learned it in good marriage counseling years ago, that you got to water the plant for the marriage, right? you got to go on dates and all these things, give each other gifts and kiss each other and all this hello and goodbye and I think there's things. But for yourself, you have to water your own plant. You know, we have right. to water our own plant. No one else mm-hmm. is going to do it. And I think for people who are trying to get recovery, I don't like that word anymore, but people who are you know, trying to either, you know, stop or um, moderate or get better, right, and stop certainly uh, hardcore drugs, that you have to think of it like a plant. It's your own thing. You know what I mean? Right. Nobody can give that to you. That mm-hmm. is, and I used to say, well, you know, in old school, well, it's a gift, or and you worked for it, but it's your own plant. You are it, man. you got to learn how to take care of yourself, and that's why I think that, you know, self-care and, loving yourself like amy lee Coy wrote a really great book called from death to I part of twenty years in and out she was dropped off at rehab at thirteen and really abandoned uh... and in and out of rehab in twelve step didn't work and she writes this book about self-love and self-care and stops like this girl was drinking hardcore alcohol
1: morning mm-hmm. you know
0: well, through the day and and cured her healed herself or whatever you want to call it but that i think that we are uh... back to the point of even going through bad stuff, we have to be able to feel our feelings and then go into take care of yourself as you walk through the day the very best that you can. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is trust, because we lose trust. We don't trust them. When they do, you know, if it goes on and on, right, did you have an issue with trust? And you know, I think it's really empowering to re- be reminded by, well, wow, you have to like, earn it back. Right, earn that trust back, and say to them, "Look, you know, I don't trust you because you've been not doing what you say you're going to do, over and over and over again, and that you have to, you know, is it earn our trust again? Yeah, it's that way. <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean about
1: the trust issue? Sure.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, trust is is huge, and um, so many families go through the uh, the deal of. I mean, I've heard this so many times. Of you know, the jewelry's gone, grandma's jewelry's gone. You know, I mean, they've taken everything in the house and that kind of thing, and and you know for so many parents it's it's just really it's very difficult but um you do i think at some point you just have to realize okay that my child's making positive change they're making that effort to to change their life and get this under control so i have to you know i have to give them that chance to to earn the trust back and um, they talk a lot about um, in the craft the positive reinforcement, which is a real huge piece of craft. And, you know, we I think as parents, we kind of, when, when we're in the midst of this, we kind of forget, you know, uh, the idea of positive reinforcement because there, there's so much negativity maybe at, at right. the moment. But, I mean, that's right. one way to kind of encourage that trustworthy behavior is, you know, when you're seeing your child do something well, you reward them in some way. It doesn't have to be a lot of money. It can even be just, you know, a verbal acknowledgement, you know, I really like what you did or thank you for doing that or whatever. Um, and, you know, thinking about what your child really would want. And this could be, I mean, I say child, but I'm usually it's a teen or young adult or whatever. It, it works for anybody, really. You can you know so that's a way to kind of encourage that better behavior that you're trying to find to that positive change that you're trying to motivate your child to kind of go in that you know more positive direction so those are some things that I think the craft is helpful with it's it's allow you know rewarding reminding looking for the positive and and then the trust starts to build you know it's mm-hmm. that positive cycle that starts and so your trust in them You know, is um, you're more motivated to be, you're trusting them when you're seeing the things that they're doing well. And sometimes I think parents too lose sight. You know, you see you you see the things that you're worried about, the drug use or the alcohol use or whatever. Um, But often I'll ask parents, you know, well, what 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 is your child doing well and. They have to think sometimes for a moment, but when a lot of times when they start talking, there are their kids are even though they're using drugs or even though they're doing there is just some bad behavior, you know behavior that's not healthy. Let me put it that way.
1: Mm-hmm. They
2: are um, there is a lot of good things too that they are. It's, this is not just you know it, they're a they're a combination of many things. It's not just that they're a drug user. There's a lot of things going on with each person. And so there are a lot of positives that can that are still there. And so that's what you kind of want to focus on and build those and encourage those to so that your child starts doing more of those kind of things, those more positive behaviors and trust builds and change happens hopefully, you know, sooner rather than later is what the idea is. And so
0: I think that's helpful too. Yeah, I I do think that's really important. You can forget to uh to do that. I mean I've seen that. Uh now we're talking to Kathy Tombaugh, and she is a coach for craft for family for actually parent coach for um parents who have children that are overusing alcohol or drugs or dependent on it. Do you know you're up north, right? Are yeah. you up north uh-huh. in California? Near what what city are you?
2: I'm outside, uh, just 30 miles east of San Francisco, in uh, the Danville area, by Walnut Creek. I know probably people have heard of Walnut Creek, but um, just yeah, just east of San Francisco. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay,
2: so yeah, it's a nice
0: area up there, isn't it? I mean, I I don't know that I've been to like you know where you are, but I've certainly heard of Walnut Creek. And is it Mm -hmm. a suburban area?
2: It is a suburban area. Mm -hmm. It's a Uh suburban area. yeah, a lot of people, uh, I, I guess a lot of people, some people commute. It's a little bit far to commute in the city, but I know a lot of people do it. And uh, there's, you know, uh, yeah, there is um, suburban, a lot of families out here, that kind of thing. But it's a little bit, what's nice is there's a little bit of a rural feeling too in the East Bay so that you don't have to go far where you are You can kind of get in nature a little bit and that kind of thing. So I like that part of it. But I nice. grew up not nice. too far from me. I grew up out. Not too far from Pasadena, so I know LA too. So I, oh, yeah, okay,
0: I'm definitely yeah. a California
1: girl. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: uh, so, uh, are there is there smart meetings in your area? Are there smart or craft meetings up there? Bet,
2: yeah, there don't right now. Uh, there are some smart meetings. I know there's one in San Francisco. Um, and I don't know if there's one in I don't think there's one right in my town but there are some in San Francisco. We have not really started craft meetings yet, but I certainly think that would be a wonderful thing to start doing. Um Family Anonymous is another group that does use the 12 step, but it's a lot more open and relaxed, I think. Um but yeah, the smart meetings good, and the other thing is there are two smart parent meetings. And I don't if you just go on Smart Recovery. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, on their website, there are right. two parent meetings. I want to. I don't. I don't quote me. I don't remember exactly the days, but there are two parent meetings during the week online that you can uh, connect with. So that's oh, okay. Really
0: right, right. So that's right. There's parent meetings online, and uh, I do think the that there are uh, therapists that where maybe thirty years ago there was SLIM, you know what I mean? There was probably psychiatrists right. like, you know, Lance Dodies or who's definitely a non twelve step addiction therapist and Stanton Peel. But I do think that there are people who have studied, whether it's A. J. Popkeys doing EMDR work with young people or with just anybody, but um, that there's a little bit more that you could find, um, a therapist, a real one, you know, maybe mm-hmm. PhD or M F C C at the end of their name, although there's a lot of steppers, as I say, who become that, too. But uh, there's plenty of good people out there that uh, are available to, I think, help people. And that's what part of, you know, I want to do is bring in some people that can offer alternatives uh, for people who are looking. You know, I think that it's a really hard thing to deal with and that, you know, anybody, and if you know someone else, you can refer me, you know, to talk if you know another good person, like, I mm-hmm. interviewed um, Jeff Foote. That was a really good interview. And I just didn't know that there was, like, a whole group in New York City. There's like, 25 therapists there that all specialize, And there were none of them, they're all non-12-step. And who would have known? Right. I didn't know. You know, and I've had people who were there looking for help. And so these resources, we find each other on the Internet and social media, you know, and, and mm-hmm. share what you um, what you know. Um, we're coming up sort of to the end of the show. We have about eight minutes left. If anybody wants to call in, if you're listening, it's 818-475-9211 if you have a question for Kathy or myself or a comment, 818-475-9211. Um, are you working on something that you want to tell us about or you know, just some something we haven't touched on that you'd like to say and
1: talk about?
2: Um. Well, you know, I just, uh, well, one thing that I just crossed my mind as you were talking, and I, and I was just thinking I could actually probably pull this together on my website, too, is there are quite a few um, individual groups. I know I'm in this group, the Parent um, Partners, which is through the partnership.com, and there's a, quite a few parents in there. And a number of those parents in different parts of the country have their own individual groups that they've started that are non-12-step. Um, one of our hmm. parents has has a big one in indiana um and he i know he said you know we were doing kind of um a 12-step thing for a while he goes but again he was in my training too in new york and he's changing you know i I believe he has kind of changed it more to the craft craft philosophy Mm -hmm. so um there are you know private not private but i mean they're individual groups that aren't really affiliated with any large organization so i was just thinking that that would be something to add but um I am putting out a book. I do Well, I do groups. One thing that I, you know, I do parent group coaching, which that seems to be pretty popular, and I do those, mm-hmm. um, you know, every about every other month I'll just do a group of four to six moms, usually moms. I've, I've had some dads too, but that right. seems to be a nice way for parents to, you know, bounce ideas off each other. Um, and then I'm putting out a new e-book. I just decided to pull all the interviews that I've done in the past um, three years and just pull those together in, in in a in an ebook form with um people like uh David Schaff, who's probably one of the most popular fathers out there who's um, you know written quite a couple of books and uh, that I'm sure a lot of parents have, have have heard of him and um Jeffrey Foote will be in there um
1: mm-hmm.
2: Kennedy Lawford, some of those people so that's coming out hopefully in the next month I hope we will get it wrapped up and get that out there and so yeah I just um I just try to reach people through the coaching the re, you know uh, and my website, and just encourage people to get help in any way they can I mean whatever works for people, you know, just don't stay isolated and um, reach out and get help and you know talk to people, find out everything you can about addiction. I think that makes such a difference when you you know educate yourself and there's quite a few good books out there and
0: um i mean jeff, what are your favorite beyond books addiction. what are, what are your, some of your favorite books
2: uh, beyond addiction is, is one of my favorite that jeff foot and two of his co uh, carrie wilkins and nicole Ka- i don't know if i'm going to pronounce this correctly but kazanaki wrote that's very good i like clean is another one um
0: is that, that by it's clean by david, david jeff? jeff is that- Mm -hmm. What is his, I know I bought it, but I I have too many books to read and make a movie, so I I bought it, so I would hope. What is his, like, point of view?
2: What he talks about, he really talks a lot about the addiction industry, um, the recovery industry, and how we need change. I think a lot, basically his book is the idea that we need to look at what we're doing, the health, the way that we're treating um, the people that are, you know, trying to get help with addiction, and... Putting in some more science, you know, evidence-based research. Having people go to treatment place, you know, centers that have are using the science-based evidence materials. And I, so I think he's a really in line with what you're talking about. If you haven't ever, have you obviously haven't interviewed him? He, he would be a good interview for you. That would be another. Yeah. One.
0: No, I haven't. I should. Um, do you think I need to read the book or just have him on? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you could breathe through the book. <laughs> um, I'll breathe through it. I get some thick book, and I just like, I read, you know, uh, The Sober Truth easily, you know, because it's right up my alley, and it's a thin book. <laughs> but, uh, right. I was like, oh, I'm just at the end part of making this film. So, um, well, that's I know. good to know. Yeah. I, well, I'm glad. When is the book going to be ready on as your e-book?
2: Oh, my What's e-book? Um, probably by the end of if, if May is what I'm hoping that it'll be ready. Um, yeah, I think that'll be good. Another one that I also like is um, Inside Rehab by Ann Fletcher. That's a very good book about um, really looking at the treatment industry. That was a real eye-opener
0: for me, if you haven't read that one. I would, Yeah, I, I would, have that on the shelf, too. I did reach out to her when she came out, and she was busy doing, like, NPR. She was doing sort of radio tour, and then I, I got kind of busy myself. But I did want to have her on. I, I did. I think it's important. There's a bunch of films coming out. Really soon. I mean, there's three films coming out. Mine, and then this other one, and Claudia Christians, which is called One Little Pill. Uh, the Naltrexone is going to help a lot of a lot of people who don't have mm-hmm. any childhood trauma, who just want to they want to moderate, or you really want to slow down, and you don't need to go to rehab to do that. Uh, it's. I think it's really. I've become friends with her, and it's really going to help because people. I mean, what I've discovered in the making of the film is just how deep AA got in there, and they got into our medicine, they got into Harvard, and you know, they really stopped what could be, we really could be a lot further along with understanding it, and they're still just working on rats. I mean, it's just like, someone's like, oh, yeah, and on rats do this, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, just, you know, in the 1950s, Whenever a schizophren- there was finally medication, right? I mean, when was that? Uh, it's really maybe later, of course, when they came up with some really good medication for schizophrenia. And, you know, we, we need to come further along with this other stuff. And But I, I just want to thank you. We've been talking to Kathy ta, ta- and Baugh and it's spelled Kathy with a C. And it's T A. I have it here right here. Where was I? I turned away. T A U G H I N B A U G H. It's really been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on my show. She can go to her website and contact her there. She's very affordable and uh, sounds like compassionate and understanding. And uh, I want to thank you very much.
2: Well, thank you for having me on. No, I really appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing your upcoming film. That's going to be exciting. And thank you for all you're doing. It's great to have one more voice out there. And I, I, I like your um, philosophy, though. I think it, it, we do need to, to give people choices and options, and know that there's many different ways to, to, to make positive change. So.
0: Right, right. Again, thank you so much, Kathy, I'm Monica Richardson. This is Bog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. It's always free on iTunes. It's free to download here right on, the, uh, on your computer, download it on your iPhone, listen later, and tell everybody that we should all have a choice. <laughs> and thank you so much, Kathy, and we'll okay. see you next week. Okay, bye. Bye.
2: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps>